continue our time. Um, we have taken a break from First Samuel. We'll be picking that back up here in just a couple weeks, um, and are doing an, an Advent series this year. Um, if you are familiar with Advent, or you've been doing an Advent guide, you you probably understand that our our order is really messed up this year. Um, we have not done any of them on the proper day. Uh, that's we are aware of what the order is. We just have chosen, uh, I guess, to make it difficult on you. So, we, um, so we we did peace um, a couple weeks ago, as we were reminded that God has given us peace um, with Him. He's given us peace with one another, and He's given us peace within ourselves, right? And last week, um, Ricky looked at hope and how the, our future hope is really rooted in God's past faithfulness and, and the fact that we can look at the cross and see the hope that has been provided and given, and because of that, then we look forward in, into the future with hope. And what we're doing during this Advent season, right, the, the Advent is we are celebrating the fact that Jesus has come, that that has occurred, and we are also anticipating a second coming Right, that we will look forward to with eager anticipation. And so we are both looking back and remembering and celebrating, and we are looking forward, anticipating um, and waiting with eager anticipation. And so this morning, we're going to look at uh, the topic of love. Okay? Now listen, love is a, can be a very nebulous kind of just term. All right? Because we can say in, in one conversation, I love your haircut, which is said often to me. Right, all right. I was just seeing if y'all are paying attention. Right, okay. Um, and or, and and in the same conversation, you could tell someone who is far from the Lord, God loves you. Right, like how how absurd is it that we could say I love your haircut and God loves you, and and it's it's the same word. Now we understand that there is depth to the word, there is nuance to the word, there are other things that we can say. And yet we know to say that God is love or to talk about the, the topic of love is a massive, difficult topic that we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks breaking apart. Um, and, but here's, here's the thing. I want to encourage us this morning that God is alive, right? And because of that, would we not be so arrogant this morning to assume that we kind of got the God is love thing checked off? Right, that we've we've got it. There's no nuance to it. There's no there's no more depth to it that we could per, that we could perhaps learn or grow. That we would assume that we have it all. That listen, the love of God we will have all of eternity to dive into. And and we will not come to the end and go well. We have somehow mined it all. His character is deep and rich. And the facets of who he is we will get to explore and enjoy for all time. And so. Would we hear the words of Paul? This is from Ephesians 3. And would this just kind of be maybe the prayer for us this morning as we begin this topic? Hear what he says. For this reason, in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right, like That is our prayer this morning, is that we would know the, the, the depth and the height. Right, We would know 
the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. In verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the, the attitude, the heart, the humility I want us to come to a familiar idea that God is love this morning and that we would ask God to meet us through His Word and through His Spirit to open our eyes to the nuance of this topic. And so let's, let's just start here. Um, that God defines love, right? Like he, he gets to define it as our creator, as our sustainer, as, our, as the one who has set everything into motion, that God defines love. And, and, and so, listen, do we try to um, redefine it? Of course we do. But would we start at the fact that God has told us what love is and that it's Him? Look at 1 John. We're going to be jumping around, so if you want a pen to, to note these, um, Colin will try to keep up. And if you want to turn, you are welcome to do this. Um, 1 John 4, beginning in verse 8. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And so Scripture just clearly, simply, right, says, you want to know what love is? It's God. Like, God is love. That is the definition. Love is God. He has defined it. And so this morning, we could be reminded in 1 John where, where John the Baptist um, in, in John 1 sees Him. He goes, look, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the earth. Comes to take away the sins of the world. Would we behold Jesus this morning? Would our attention be directed to Him to behold the One whom God has said, I am love? So here's where we're going to start. How, how is it that we can see that God is love? And the first is this, right, is that He has pursued us. Right? Why are we celebrating Advent? Because God has come in the flesh for us. Right? That God sent His Son, Jesus, to rescue us. That He has pursued us. Right? We see this in the most familiar passage in all of Scripture, in John 3.16. Right? That how do we know that God loved the world? That He sent His Son. Church, He, he doesn't just sit on high and say, Hey, I'm love. Now y'all figure it out. If you can get to me, it'll be fun. I'll, I'm going to watch. It's a riddle. He sends His Son to know us, to love us, to pursue us. He doesn't leave us in a desperate, hopeless state, right? Aware of this chasm between us and Him. Aware of a, of a need that we can't fix, right? This isn't a religious system that says, figure out how to get to Him. And in the end, maybe you'll achieve that, right? He is, we have a whole system that has been set up, this loving plan from before the foundation of the world where God has been setting things in motion that we would recognize Him when He comes. Through the sacrificial system, through His raising up of the nation of Israel, through the prophets, through prophecy, right? All of these promises of what they were looking for, what they were waiting for, what they were anticipating, right? Would they recognize Jesus? Would they recognize God when He stepped into human flesh? Right? The second coming, he's going to split the sky. And everyone's going to recognize it. But in the first, right, it was, it was being set up like, 
Would we recognize him in his humility? Would we recognize him in his gentleness? Would we recognize him in his acts of obedience? As he lived the life that we were meant for and knew that we could not, that he has not left us in a helpless, desperate state. So not only has God shown his love by sending Jesus, by pursuing us, but he, he has shown us his love that he's demonstrated it. Right, Romans 5.8, right? While we were at our worst, Christ died for us. Right, it's not on your best day where you have done the most that you could to look as good as you could, and you've gone as long as you could without sinning. You're like, man, I don't think I would be a bad addition to God's team today. Right, that's not what he's looking at. Going, hey, on your strongest day, can I figure out a way to put you in? He says it's your worst. And for some of us, our worst is pretty, it's pretty bad. Right, as we think about the depths of our sin and our depravity, things that we've said, things that we've thought, things that we've done, things that we've wanted to do, relationships that we have broken. Right, like we can think about this in just in how we have sinned against one another, let alone the fact that we have sinned and rebelled against a holy God, perfect and without blemish or spot, that we have said, not your way, my way. Right, the offense is against the Holy One. And so, again, he demonstrates his love, not just by saying, hey, I love y'all, I love y'all, but he shows it. He sends Jesus to the cross. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 4. Uh, I'll start in verse 3. Listen, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying, listen, you were opposed to God. But God, being rich in mercy, why? Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And, and what is shocking, right, is that we can actually look at that and go, okay, like, like that we can take that for granted. That we can be so familiar with the fact that God loves us that we have forgotten the fact that, that He didn't have to. That he didn't have to demonstrate it. He didn't have to show us. He didn't have to rescue us. He didn't have to send for us and pursue us. That his love is in pursuit. His love is in demonstration. And his love is costly. Right? Jesus, when he's talking in John 15, he says, listen, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for someone. Right? For a brother. For a friend. Like that it, that it costs something. This isn't just God saying, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. It cost him his life. That Jesus was mocked, ridiculed, beaten, hated, lied about, betrayed by those closest to him, by those who, who never liked him. That ultimately on the cross we see him crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the wrath of God was poured out on the innocent one, on his own son, so that it would, we would be spared. That, that, that is the posture that we, we should be annihilated. And yet, God forsook Jesus. So we would not be. And so would we not, again, right, when, when we have these familiar thoughts and ideas, that it, it's easy for us just to go, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. That the Spirit would open our hearts and our eyes to see the depth of God's love for us this morning. Listen, His love 
is actually quite offensive. Right? Can you, can you think of someone in your life or a situation or a type of people when, when they all of a sudden say, hey, I'm, I trust Jesus now, I'm following Jesus, so you're like, yeah, not you. And not because you think they're so far gone, but that, that if God was to rescue them, you're actually offended by it. Would we not run past the fact that God's love is offensive? Because it is costly. And in a way that we might look at his love and think that we could take it for granted would be to think that we actually deserved it. You don't, but I do. And when we begin to believe that we deserve it, that we are somehow owed it, then we can take it for granted. And so when he offers his love to, do, to those that we think are too far gone or too different from us or too offensive, we're reminded that his love is costly, that it is offensive, that it is unique. Listen, um, depending on the temperament of... Uh, I was trying to figure out if I could, if I could say this in a way... Um, Depending on the temperament of your kids, right? Some just tend to fall in line, right? Others have children who tend to push the line, okay? And that can look in a lot of different forms and fashions. I've got one of my three who runs past the line and then boldly tells me why that happened and what they think of me, okay? It's, it's, it's unique because I, that wasn't me. Like, I, I'm not wired that way, and so it's like, it's still shocking and offensive to me when they say these, these hard, sometimes ugly things. Um, and as we, we had a standoff the other day. It, it lasted quite a while, and ugly words were being hurled at me. And, and like I'm sitting there, like, trying to process all of this, like, Do we get that we do that to God? Like, that, that he is actually, like, what I wanted to, to look at my child and say was, you have no clue how gracious I'm being right now. Like, the fact that you're breathing, like, is gracious. Right? The fact that I'm, like, you don't understand how patient I'm being. That, like, that we're still, like, engaged in this. Because I could take you. I, I, like, I mean, like, in, in, that, in that moment, if I'm just being frank, I wanted to. Like, I, I wanted to just end it, right? And be like, hey, you're going to see right now the wrath of Dad. And, and, and some of you are like, I've, I've experienced that. I'm experiencing that now. Some of you are going, I don't know what that looks like, right? I, I'm grateful for you. Um, but in that, right, like, God was like, literally in those moments was working on my heart, too, of going, watch what you say. Watch how you respond. You are representing me right now. You're representing me. And he's like, by the way, you, you've done this to me. Oh. Because as ugly and as, as painful as that felt, like I would say, I, I've never done that to anyone. God's like, I'm holy. You're not holy. I'm perfect. You're not perfect. And you have rebelled and sinned against me. You have offended me in this way. And it has been a stink in my nostrils. And so have, would we be honest enough to say that God is patient and He is gracious and that does not make Him a pushover? Like the kindness of God that leads, what? To repentance. So that's, like would we not run past the fact that God is gracious and merciful 
kind and loving, and that it's for our good, right? It's for us to see Him rightly and to know Him in depth and to trust Him. Because ultimately, that's what's going on in, in the showdown in my living room. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm good for you, that I'm going to give... I know this is hard, but do you trust that what I'm doing is actually for your benefit? No, Dad, I don't believe it is. Okay, well, we're going to get there. By God's grace, we're going to get there. Did there. We have coworkers and friends and family and neighbors and people all over the world that right now look at God and say, I don't trust you, and I'm not sure that you're good, and I'm not sure that you're loving. And God is patient and gracious, wishing none to perish. That we would not run past His love this morning. That is, we have been pursued by it. It's been demonstrated. It is costly. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. That His love for us, it transforms us. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new creation has come. And all of this is from God. Like that his love isn't just verbally spoken. It's actually shown, right? And in a relationship, when you say, I love you, and your actions don't match it up, the words don't mean much. But God says, I love you, and I'm going to demonstrate it. And by the way, I'm not going to leave you like you were. I'm going to transform you. You're going to be different. You're going to be... You're going to be like me. The old is gone and the new has come. Church, we are being continually, constantly loved by God in the fact that He's not leaving us in our old ways, in our old thought patterns, in our old emotions, in our old right sin. He is transforming and renewing and redeeming us and sanctifying us until the day we are glorified with Him and our faith becomes sight as we see Him face to face. That it is transformative. His love is not only transformative, it's eternal. So often, I think we think of love as, as fleeting. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, not things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor debt, depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When He has you, you're His. Forever. Forever. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. And not only, and not only is it just like, okay, you're in, right? And we're going to put you in the corner over there in heaven. It's in, and you are seated at the feast with the King who has called you son or daughter for all time, to enjoy Him, be satisfied Him, bringing nothing to the table. Come and eat and drink freely those who have no money to pay. That God has loved us. Like I think sometimes we say God loves us, and it's, it's, it is borderline flippant. Oh, He had to. He must. It's God. And we forget the depth of it what it costs, of what it does for us, of the one who is giving it who did not have to. And so would we be reminded that He doesn't do it begrudgingly? Right? It's not a... It's not like my uh, lifeguard that rescued me a couple weeks back, right, who begrudgingly removed her sweat shirt. Apparently, apparently I said her sweat swimsuit. I was made aware of that. 
right? She begrudgingly rescued me as I was drowning, um, right? God does not begrudgingly rescue us. Prophet Zephaniah, listen in verse 17 of chapter 3. The Lord your God is in your midst. Church, that is what we are celebrating, that God is in our midst. He came in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is not one who says, fine, come on. I have to do it. He is rejoicing, singing, exulting over you in love, in loud song. Because He loves you. Would we receive that, hear that today, that God has pursued you, He has transformed you, it cost Him something, right? He loves you and rejoices in your salvation because you see Him, know Him, and trust Him. And so would we not be a body of believers this morning that would feel owed or flippant or even deserving? Because when we do, we begin to take it for granted and these words begin to ring hollow. So God is love. Now listen, in, in light of this year and in light of, of difficulty, in light of loss that has even occurred um, in, in people's lives this week, um, we understand that suffering is in this world. And so how do we, right, how do we balance the suffering that is going on with the fact that God is love? Right? How do we do that? And so I want us to quickly look at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 21, and we'll, we'll, we'll read. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Right? We, just, we see this brief, beautiful, eloquent summation of the gospel. But it, the reminder is, hey, he suffered, and what does it tell us? You're to follow in His example. You're to follow in His footsteps. That suffering is going to be a part of this world and this life. Don't be surprised. First Peter 4, don't be surprised. Why? Listen, we again, love is this massive topic we could spend months on. Suffering is a massive topic. Um, and so we're just going to look at a, a little bit of it this morning. Suffering and love, how do we begin to entwine them? Suffering does some things. It helps us to see truth. It helps us to see value. And it helps us to identify lesser things. When suffering comes, right, we're able to go, oh, the things I'm holding on to don't matter that much. Right? That's why you'll hear people a lot of times at funerals, right? or in sickness go, hey, things that I've poured my life out for actually don't matter that much. Why did I not know that, right? Like that suffering brings the ability to let some things come out of our hands and to grab onto things that are eternal and lasting and matter. It's a way that God removes our hands from fleeting pleasures 
to, to give us eyes to see his pleasures that are at his right hand forevermore. Um, so when I was 15, my, my dad and I specifically started looking for a vehicle. Some of you have heard me say this before. And we looked at a lot of trucks, a lot of vehicles, and as a 15-year-old excited to get his license, I wanted all of them. It didn't really matter which one. It didn't, it, like, if it started, I'm like, it's good, let's get this one. And we would look, and he's like, yeah, this one's not good enough, and we'd leave. And I'm like, say what? Like, I just, I just want a truck. I just want something, right? And we'd go look at another one, go look at another one, and every time there was something that wasn't sufficient, something, and I'm like, and this isn't funny anymore. Like, I, I, like are, you, are you toying with me? Is, like, is this a game? This doesn't feel loving. It, it, it feels almost cruel, right? And here's the thing, because I would have been glad to have taken a lesser thing. I, I had my eyes so, so set on what I wanted that the loving thing that someone older and wiser than me was trying to help me understand, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Give me this. Well, that one's not going to last. That one's going to break down. That one's going to cost money. That one's not going to do... I don't care. I just want one. And, and the discipline, the grace of, of, of a loving parent to say, I know what's better for you. Sometimes suffering, difficulty comes in, right, to help peel our fingers back off of things that we're holding on to and saying, but it's mine. I want it, and it's mine. And God's saying, no, 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 I have something better. I have something that's lasting. Something that you're going to see is, is more significant. Right? Are we, are we able to see that as a loving thing? That as a 15-year-old, I didn't necessarily feel like that process was the most loving thing. But my perspective has changed. And now I can look back at that and go, that was an incredibly loving thing. An incredibly loving thing. Do we, do we trust that suffering is going to refine us? That it's going to purify us? We turn back just to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though we, you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy, and, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Right, that, that suffering doesn't just remove things from our hands, it refines us and it purifies us. Church, suffering also helps us see the effect of sin in the world. It helps us see the depth and, and the gravity of the, our rebellion. When we see hardship, we're like, oh yeah, we needed rescue. And if, if things are too easy and too smooth for too long, right, where are we prone to go? Not that God is great, that we're great. It's the sin of Israel to begin to say, hey, look at our wealth and our power and our might and our military. Things are good. Praise us. Not praise God. And then suffering and pain would enter in and they'd be like, oh yeah, God, we need you. Right? That suffering, right, it refines us. It helps us to see the value of things. But it also helps us see the effect and the depth of sin, our need, for rescue, it makes us long for the day where suffering will no longer be a part of this because we will be with Jesus for all time. 
and it will be right and good, and all tears will be wiped away. And there will be no more sickness or sin or death or mourning. Another thing that suffering does is it helps us see that God keeps His promises. That when the world would look at suffering that you are facing and go, how are you standing? How are you saying that you love God? How are you saying that God loves you? Look at your life. Look at your circumstances. Right? That we can say, Jesus has never failed me. He has been merciful and His mercy has sustained me day in and day out. He has been kind and gracious to me. He is with me. He is Emmanuel. He has never left me. He understands. Right? That we can begin, and when we begin to see that He is faithful in those promises, despite our circumstances, that He anchors our soul, then we can trust other promises. Like the suffering does have an end. And there will be a day where it will be wiped out for all time. And there will be no more suffering. That there will be a day where we're in heaven and we will look back at our past suffering, which could have been significant, and say it is light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that we are currently receiving. And that is not to trivialize any suffering in this life. It's simply saying you can't imagine what's coming. And when we see that God is faithful in in the midst of our suffering, then we can trust that those promises are true. Church, we understand that this is crazy and offensive to those who do not believe, right? Who don't know. But that we would be a people, as, as 2 Timothy 1.10 says, right, that we, have, we believe that it has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, listen, who abolished death, who has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That our suffering has an expiration date. And it was proven, the down payment was made at the, at the cross. And when Jesus splits the sky and finishes the advent, it will be gone for all time. For all time. And it, none of it will be wasted. Because He cares for you. He loves you. He sings over you. And you are secure in His hands. Listen, discipline, when looked at by a child, is seen as cruel or mean. But when, have you ever been disciplining someone and had an older person walk by and you're thinking, oh no, they're about to scold me for what's going down here because my kid thinks I'm being mean and they say something like, hey, thank you for loving them. Right? What's the difference? It's perspective. Right? That they understand that it is a kindness and a grace that you're offering that child to discipline them because you love them. Suffering is from loving hand. It's controlled, and you will suffer no longer than necessary. And you will not suffer for all time. You will be with Jesus, those who know and trust and treasure Him, who believe that the cross is where their salvation was secured, by Jesus' hand and not by ours. Final thing, and we'll, we'll move through this quickly. That God is love. His suffering Sorry, our suffering, his suffering, does not negate that he is love. And the final thing is this, is the love of Christ compels us. It gives us action steps. This is 2 Corinthians 5, that the love of Christ compels us. It's John 15, 9 and 10, where he tells his disciples, listen, if you want to love me, then obey me. Like there are things for you to do. And so it's the love of Christ that compels us to read Scripture Like, if you believe that God loves you, then you want to go to the thing where He reveals Himself so that I can know more about Him. It compels me that I'm not just doing this 
is like a perfunctory ritual to, to check it off and to feel okay about my day, to feel spiritual. It's to say, I want to know God because He loves me. And so I want to pray and I'm going to read and I want to connect with Him and I want to know Him so that I can enjoy Him, so that I can be satisfied by Him, right? so that I can grow, so that I can know things that need to be removed from my hands so that I can have more of Him. The love of Christ should compel us to walk with Jesus. The love of Christ should compel us to obey Him. And the love of Christ should compel us to be ambassadors. As we are recipients of this love, we then walk forward with this love. So listen, this looks like being at work and being an ambassador there, that you work with integrity, right? that you are trusted with money, that your effort and your work ethic are seen as, as different. Not so that you can beat your chest, not so that, right, that you can lord over, but because you are working as to the king more so than even your boss. Right? That we are working um, because we are rightfully seeing that work is not sin. We are created to work. It's been affected by sin, but we are created for it. So we can be an ambassador in loving in our work. We, as I mentioned earlier, we can be ambassadors as parents, as we bring discipline justice, as we pursue our children who may be rebelling and running from us, as we love them, what are we doing? We are a bridge, right? We're not saying you're ours. We're saying we want you to know Him who we belong to, too. And I'm an ambassador on behalf of the King so that you'll know Him the way I do. I want you to trust Him and know Him that He's good. And so I want to be a healthy representation of Him, not so that you think I'm the best dad in the world, so that you'll know the King who loves you and sings over you, who has rescued you and redeemed you and restores you. We do this in our marriages, that the love of Christ compels us to love well, to suffer well, to love when our emotions aren't there, that we continue to act in a loving manner, trusting our hearts will catch up. And it's the love of Christ that compels us to do things like plant churches, to go overseas, to live on mission, to enter, engage in awkward conversations with someone, right? To share the truth of Jesus, to askew comfort, right? Because we understand this life isn't all about me and how long I can get out of it and how much I can wring from it, right? That I want to, I want to live a life that glorifies God, and so I want to. My values will be different. I will be generous. I'll put myself out there, and not because I am some great source of love, and not because of my love, but because I have received it, and I am a conduit of it. We were told when we were moving to Yemen, hey, if you're going because you love Arabs or Muslims or Yemenis or whatever, you will come home. You don't have that much love. They will drive you nuts. And that could be said with, you're going to plant a church in Pampa? You don't love Pampa enough. You're going to plant a church around your friends and family? You don't love them enough. You're going to plant a church. You, we don't have that kind of love, but Jesus does. And because we've received it, we can be recipients and right. we can allow it to flow through us. He is deserving of worship. We want to see, we want to see people glorify Him, know Him, love Him, because He loves them, and give Him the honor and worship that He deserves. And so it means that we'll do things that are uncomfortable, in this life, because the love of Christ compels us. And so this morning, what we're hoping is that your hearts and your affections, your emotions will be stirred 
that you have been loved and that you can know and love God. That your feet would be compelled to action and obedience. And that the knowledge, right, of who God is and His character and His love for you, that those three would all all come together, that we would be healthy, obedient servants of a King who has loved us and has called us to love. We are loved because of the cross. We can look back and see that. And we, we began with a prayer from Ephesians this morning. I want us to end with, with one verse. This is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, to the steadfastness of Christ. And read that again. Would this be our prayer this morning? May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That those of you who know Jesus, your hearts would be turned and your affection would be poured out. For those of you who may not know Him this morning, that He would direct your heart to Him to say, quit running, quit rebellion. I'm yours. You're mine. I love you. I'm glad to rescue you. If you need someone to, to pray with, um, for, any, for any reason, there'll be some men and women in the back of the room. The band's going to come back up and we're going to sing to our King when we pour out profuse love in our songs, and also in our obedience. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for our, your love for us. Would we not say that lightly? Would we not say that flippantly? Would we not look at it as simply a man-made love, but would we see the, the divine, holy, righteous love of Christ? And would it compel us to trust you, to know you, to worship you, to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.